Welcome to Explore, a podcast from the Australian Museum. It's a show that takes you inside Australia's first museum. There are 21.9 million objects and specimens in the museum's collection, and each contains a clue from the past and an answer for the future. Join us on expeditions, in exhibitions and in the lab as we delve into the world of the Australian Museum. Well, he asked who I was. I told him I was fine. He said, I'm your dad. Truth must be told in every aspect of life. Yeni Millendium, we are one family. Yamakura. My name is Laura McBride. I'm a Walwan and Kuma woman and director, First Nations, at the Australian Museum. The Australian Museum acknowledges the Gadigal people as the custodians on the land on which our museum stands. We pay our respect to Aboriginal elders and recognise their continuous connection to country. From the earliest days to today, museums, like many government institutions, have been viewed with great suspicion by First Nations peoples. Due to the role they played in the colonisation of Australia, and the effects this has had on Aboriginal people's lived experiences. The Australian Museum was the first museum in the country, founded in 1827. In the early days of amassing its collections, scientists not only gathered insect and animal specimens, but also collected objects from Aboriginal peoples in ways that would not be seen as acceptable today. For many years, institutions, including the Australian Museum, would classify and interpret our cultures from their perspectives, many times creating and perpetuating negative stereotypes of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. Today, the Australian Museum stands firm in its commitment to acknowledge the wrongs of the past and collaborate with First Nations peoples in the interpretation of Aboriginal history and cultures. The exhibition Unsettled, which I curated alongside my colleague, Dr Mariko Smith, was a leap towards that future. Years in the making, and based upon consultation with First Nations communities around the country, Unsettled was an exercise in truth-telling, First Nations peoples voicing their own stories and illuminating parts of Australia's history that may not be well known to the public. At the Australian Museum, we understand that truth-telling can be confronting to some, but the process can be powerful. Grief can make way for healing, and healing can unite a people who were once divided. In this episode of Explore, I'd like to share with you three important pieces of the Unsettled exhibition. We will travel back to 1770, and hear the accounts of Kurrag peoples on the arrival of Cook's tall ship and return to the present to learn about an Aboriginal teaching, a wish for us to share with each other and care for each other. But we begin in the recent past with an account of Anife Mosley, a Wiradjuri elder and artist who was taken from her family and home in the Riverina region of New South Wales when she was just 10 years old. The Stolen Generations are children removed by the government under the 1909 Aborigine Protection Act, New South Wales, that gave the Aborigines Protection Board power to assume full control and custody of the child of any Aboriginal person if a court found the child to be neglected under the Neglected Children and Juvenile Offenders Act, 1905. My parents were non-drinkers. My father was a rat of Tobruk. He fought for this country to protect its people but yet they took his children. There were six of us out of nine that were taken, the six elders. At the time, Australian governments and citizens believed that they were doing the right thing under a misguided assumption 
that the lives of First Nations peoples would be improved if they became a part of white society, that living like an Aboriginal person was seen as neglect and that removal from Aboriginal families would have a positive impact on their lives. The narrative the government was selling was the opposite of Annie Faye's experience. Annie Faye describes one of her paintings from the exhibition, One Way Ticket to Hell. It depicts the day she was kidnapped from her family. My mum and dad were actually at work. When they took us, we were on our way to school. The welfare came with the police and just took us off the, off the side of the road where we were waiting for the bus. We were told that we were being taken to the circus or the show or down, down to the shop. The children were instead taken via train to Central Station in Sydney, where they were separated and sent to different institutions or homes. Arnie Faye was taken to Cootamundra Domestic Training Home for Aboriginal girls. Depicted within the painting is Arnie Faye's mother, with a policeman grabbing her arm, pulling her away from her children. Someone went up to the cannery and told my mum that the police and the welfare had had us, and she ran down and the police wouldn't allow her to come over and talk to us and explain or ask why they took us. And on my form... Uh, my discharge form. The reason for being taken was for being Aboriginal. I, I was taken from a very, very loving sober home. My nan owned the house. She bought it from a non-Aboriginal guy for £10 and it was quite big so we lived in there and then when they took us they just bulldozed the house down. It's just so sad that it happened, that it had to happen. You know, the land here is big enough to share. You know, we were sharing it, and yet we were taken off it. We were happy to share. But the wealth of the land, you know, generated a lot of problems for Aboriginals. The second painting of Annie Faye's, featured in the exhibition, is about one of the rooms within Cootamundra Girls' Home. Cootamundra was the first hospital and they had two morgues. They knocked one down, but the one that the painting's about, that was our um, storeroom. Annie Faye tells us about the punishment room, called the box room. We would get locked in there if we were really naughty, and I, I had to stick up for my younger siblings. I was the eldest in there, so yeah, I had a job to do. <laughs> so if the box room was full, they would lock us in the morgue. So I was forever in there. The painting is one of many harrowing experiences Arnie Faye had during her eight-year stay at the Cootamundra home. She describes what it was like leaving the home after the home had supposedly taught her how to assimilate into white society. And it was a very scary thing, you know. You're 18 and you're in Sydney on your own and you're looking for family and no support from any government about what you have to do whilst you're in Sydney. The whole idea of the Stolen Generation was to bring up, you know, bring us up in a way that was accepted by society. But they didn't. It, it all went wrong, the whole thing. And that's shown through the way, you know, the Stolen Generation interacted with the wider community. One of the things that I thought, as I, I said to myself, that as I grew up and I got married, that... What happened to me will never happen to my children. I worked seven days a week to make sure my kids had everything and not to be taken away. I worked in government, I worked in health, community health. I worked in juvenile justice, I worked in Department of 
community affairs, that was was known then. I worked at a land council and I did nursing as well, so I've been around the tracks. Couldn't see any improvement in the government departments with regards to services to Aboriginals. So I went home and decided that I would take the paintbrush up again. And my mother used to teach us to draw and paint before we were taken. And it's through painting that Aunty Faye has been able to reshape her story as a stolen generation survivor and teach others about her experience. It wasn't until later in life that Aunty Faye was able to reconnect with her family. And I met Dad at my mum's funeral. He asked who I was. I told him I was Faye and he said, I'm your dad. That's the only words we ever said. And I'll never forget that, that, that meeting, you know, because my dad was a very good father. He worked all the time. We, ne- we were never without. And he and mum used to... Dad used to play guitar and banjo and mum sang, and my nan did too, in the church. So we grew up with the Christian teachings when we were young, and I still hold those dear to my heart today. Originally, Aunty Faye didn't want to share these paintings as they were deeply personal parts of her story. But when she'd heard about the Unsettled exhibition and knowing the importance of truth-telling, she knew that sharing her story could be a way to teach others about these experiences and help to find ways we can heal from this history. It's about healing, but it's also about allowing and inviting non-Aboriginal people to come in and go through it and contemplate on what they're reading and, and how best we can come together in In reconciliation, we've tried all sorts of things to get each other together. Government has never, ever, ever told the truth about the reasons why we were taken, only because we were Aboriginal. Not acknowledging families who were good families that looked after their children, but taking us, all of us away from a culture that, you know, loved and cared and shared for each and every one of us and, you know, and our children. I hope that they do understand that the stolen generation is real. It happened. We're here, we're a product of it. And paintings like this and stories like the stolen generation, they're real. And even my great children, it's only the last couple of years that I've told them my life about being in the homes and, and they're horrified as to what happened to me. In Lieutenant Cook's journal entry on the 22nd of August, 1770, he wrote that he and his crew had landed on a place that he had named Possession Island, a stone's throw off the western coast of what is now known as Cape York. He did not know that one of the traditional names for this island is Tuyawund and that it is home to the Kararag First Nations people. But the Kararag First Nations people reject Cook's account. Having received advance warnings through signal fires and communications via messages from other Aboriginal nations, their warriors were prepared for war should the strangers disembark. The Kararag people of Toyawund assert that Cook never came ashore, nor did he raise a flag. Here is Elder Uncle Warburn Richard Aiken, appointed Kararag tribal historian, telling his people's perspectives of this history. He's in conversation with Trevor Tim from BBM, the first and only Indigenous radio station in Cairns. 
My grandfather sat down from Moore Island in the Torres Strait. My grandfather is from there. And my grandmother from Hamlin Island, Kiriri, Kaurarek. But I grew up on the Kaurarek side more than from my grandfather's side. Mm-hmm. And I was the history of Kaurarek more. And I know because of my knowledge of sitting with my elders and of running the first native title claim on Kaurarek country, our area is called Kewalaga. And we're here now to talk about the truth. The days mm. before Captain Cook came, the true story of mm. Captain Cook's arrival and what he claimed and what he mm. did not claim. So from Kaurarek point of view, Cook only discovered Australia, but he never, he never caused the problem. The problem came in 1788, not 1770. The story needs to be told proper to our society down there and the mainland and to our brothers and sisters we can't blame Cook. We got to blame the area, that's the, the trouble, the destruction and the genocide of our people started in 1788 till today. The story is very important to let the white society know that truth must be told in every aspect of life. When new life is born, that life needs to understand the stories that before this is the story of Captain Cook and his journey. As he came up on the East Coast, and it's in his journal, it says there, he sees smokes, but yet he didn't realize they were inhabitants of that area. And at that specific time, he didn't realize that smoke signal were Blackfella Internet. Letting all the clan group from Sydney, the message stick came from Sydney, all the way to the tip. That there's a strange ship coming on the east side of the coast of Australia. That was our signal. So um, our people were communicating from the get-go. Yeah. Captain Cook, well, Terra Nullis, mm. thought there was no one on the, on the big mm. island or on the islands yeah. in the Torres Straits. But inhabitants there were, mm. yes. But when Cook came, and as he travelled across the east coast, on the 21st of August, 17. 17- 70, our elders, chief, called for sacred fire dance. That dance was to prepare for a fight and to fight these unknown things coming. The bonfire was lit and that fire lit to show the brothers and sisters on the mainland this is a sacred ceremony dance to, to fight. There's no love and friendship anymore. But the war did not take place. Yep. Because why? He never came on the beach. If he did, today we would not have British Shermantry in Australia. Because <laughs> he would have been attacked and he would have been used his head as a significant prize. Roast his head, roast it and eat it. And then we will take his head over to Papua New Guinea to trade because it's a classified system of his intelligence and of his statute. As you can see in Cook's journal, it says there, you see 10 of our people standing up on the hills, but one of them had a weapon that he ever seen on the east coast of Australia, and that was a bow and arrow, and we used that as a commodity. So he's seen that we had commodity being traded. Evidence of, uh, in evidence. But Bala Richard, that yeah. would have happened. If he would have stepped, stepped foot, if he would have stepped land. on the land, yep, that would have, would have killed him. 
So the fact that he wasn't killed yeah. shows he didn't step foot on the land. Yeah. Because the signal never came. So for him not to step on the land, you can't claim land if you're not on the land. Yeah. So how can you claim sovereignty floating in the water? It's medium. So four days later, he went to Singapore and rewrote the book. Uh, so he's taking our claim on one of his witness, one of our wit his witnesses, his fellow human being there, Sir Joseph Banks. When they were there, there was no celebration of claiming sovereignty, mm. nothing. In our thinking, Kauri, is that it is wrong. And this is what I call make-believe in claiming sovereignty. It's a false pretense without our consent. Because it is important we got to, when generations are coming out, mm. we got to look at 50, 60 years down the track, the unborn generations that are coming. We have to leave something for them. They've got to know the story. So very powerful. Thank you very mm. much for sharing, Bala Richard. The conversation has started. The truth has started. Wanangadirinya is a Wiradjuri word meaning deep listening, reflecting and meditation. The Wanangadirinya space within Unsettled gave visitors the opportunity at the end of their journey to spend time in the cultural practice of deep listening and the opportunity to reflect upon the exhibition and topics addressed within it. The Wanangadirinya space tells a story of rebirthing our future by learning about Aboriginal laws and responsibilities. We finish today's podcast by sharing one of these stories from within Wanangadirinya called Care With Each Other, Share With Each Other. I hope you enjoy it. I believe My family, my heart, my children, my heart, my joy. All children are sacred. I protect my children. My ancestors protect my children. My children belong with me. My children belong with family. My children belong with country. My children keep our Ngurampa, 
our dreaming alive. I celebrate when my children share because sharing is a core part of our way of life, of caring for one another. Care for each other, share with each other. We are a story of interconnectedness through family. We are connected through our kinship, through our song lines, through our dreaming. We, peoples of the Wawan, Huradri, Nyimba, Nyampa and Gomilaroi, we belong in interconnectedness. We are interwoven. We are the places of shared ancient memories, of shared ceremonies, of shared stories, of coming together. Come sit in ceremony with us, the ceremony of the belonging of all, the ceremony of the interconnectedness of all things. To go in bear a da, dear, to go in bear a da, dear, Munna Puningana Munna Puningana To go in bear a da, dear, to go in bear a da, dear. Family is everything. Everything is family. Within family, I am nourished within the circle of my ancestors. Food, shelter and water are shared and given freely. From family comes unity. From unity comes community. Within community I am safe, honoured, respected and valued. I am one with family. Your children, my children, are family. You protect and provide for my family within this place and I provide for and protect your children. Yeni Milindian, we are one family. The Wanangadirinya space at the Australian Museum was designed by Fleur and Lawrence Magic Dennis in partnership with elders, cultural knowledge holders and community members. Thank you for joining me today on the Explore podcast. In the next episode, we take a look at landscapes and discover the relationship between climate change and First Nations knowledges. If you missed it, you can now experience the unsettled exhibition online. Take a 360 degree virtual tour by going to australian.museum forward slash unsettled. I'm Laura McBride, Yalu. This episode was produced by Alice Gage and Cassandra Steeth. It was edited by Bernadette Fulnamwian and mixed by Veronica Rasner. Our music was written and performed by Freya Burkow. See you next time. Thank you.